It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk cheese. Recorded live. The Tram Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The following is a presentation of God Questions Ministries. What signs indicate that the end times are approaching? Matthew 24, verses 5 through 8 gives us some important clues so we can discern the approach of the end times. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. An increase in false messiahs, an increase in warfare, and increases in famines, plagues, and natural disasters. These are signs of the end time. In this passage, though, we are given a warning. We are not to be deceived, because these events are only the beginning of birth pains. The end is still to come. Some interpreters point to every earthquake, every political upheaval, and every attack on Israel as a sure sign that the end times are rapidly approaching. While the events may signal the approach of the last days, they are not necessarily indicators that the end times have arrived. The Apostle Paul warned that the last days would bring a marked increase in false teaching. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. The last days are described as perilous times because of the increasingly evil character of man and people who actively resist the truth. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9. Other possible signs would include a rebuilding of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, increased hostility towards Israel, and advances toward a one-world government. The most prominent sign of the end times, however, is the nation of Israel. In 1948, Israel was recognized as a sovereign state, essentially for the first time since A.D. 70. God promised Abraham that his posterity would have Canaan as an everlasting possession, Genesis 17, verse 8. And Ezekiel prophesied a physical and spiritual resuscitation of Israel, Ezekiel chapter 37. Having Israel as a nation in its own land is important in light of end times prophecy because of Israel's prominence in eschatology. Daniel 10, verse 14. With these signs in mind, we can be wise and discerning in regard to the expectation of the end times. We should not, however, interpret any of these singular events as a clear indication of the soon arrival of the end times. God has given us enough information that we can be prepared, and that is what we are called to be. God Questions Ministry seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical answers to today's questions. Online at gotquestions.org. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me. For I am desolate and afflicted, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. For I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. When I come 
Good morning to you and yours, and welcome to One Inspirations. It's now prayer time. It's prayer time. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning saying thank you. Thank you for all your many blessings. Thank you for keeping us, sustaining us. Give us the things that we've done. Lord, we say thank you. Lord, bless us and keep us and cover us with your wings, Lord. For any hurt, harm, and danger, we lift up those, Lord, who are in hospice, those, Lord, who are in hospital and nursing homes everywhere. Oh, we lift up those, Lord, who we don't know the partnership. Lord, we lift up those right now who are homeless. Those right there. Those right now, Lord, who lost their way. 
I'm going to lift up every pastor who's going to preach the word this morning. I'm going to lift up especially, Lord, the members of Mother Emmanuel in a in a Listen up to you, sir, Lord. Give them strength, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We lift up the people of Charleston, the terrible loss, and the families who lost their lives, the other eight. Nine victims of all families of all nine of those who lost their lives on the last week. I would say, Lord, we lift them up to you, Lord. We lift up those, Lord, who are in need. Those who lost their way, Lord, we lift them up to you, Lord. We lift up, we lift up those, Lord, who are. Peter Wallace, and this is a new day of faith and hope. 
This is day one. Welcome to day one, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. In 2015, we're celebrating 70 years of faithful weekly broadcasts, beginning in 1945 as the Protestant Hour and continuing since 2002 as Day One. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's preacher. Thank you, Sherry. We're honored to welcome to Day One today the Reverend Juan Huertas, lead pastor of Grace Community, a United Methodist congregation in Shreveport, Louisiana. Before coming to Grace Community last year, Juan served as senior pastor of St. John's United Methodist Church in Baton Rouge, and before that as pastor of Squires United Methodist in Ragley, Louisiana. Juan is a graduate of Louisiana College and Candler School of Theology at Emory University. He blogs at spiritstirrer.org. Juan, welcome to day one. It's good to be with you. It's been a joy to follow your ministry over the years. Eleven years ago, you participated in a day one program with two other seminarians who were fellows of FTE, now the Forum for Theological Exploration. Since then, you've served two churches in Louisiana, and you last preached on day one three years ago. And now for the past year, you've been serving as lead pastor of Grace Community, a thriving United Methodist congregation in Shreveport. So what's unique about Grace? Grace is a diverse a a very gifted congregation, musically, a congregation that has been able to reach deeply into the Shreveport-Bossier community and uh, gather together uh, a group of folks that probably wouldn't have come together for any other reason. Hmm. And yet uh, they have been able to be in ministry in real wonderful ways uh, in these 22 years um, in the community missionally, They have spoken uh, about issues that have been important for this community for these 22 years. And um, and so we are a unique community because of that diversity, because of that unique mix of folks who have come together in these 22 years. I understand you're very mindful about worship at Grace, constantly asking how do we create worship that allows space for God to cause vivid transformation in the lives of people. So what are some of the ways you're answering that question? You know, just like 22 years ago, we asked ourselves, how can worship connect uh, with the community around us? That's a question that we're constantly asking. And we're we're still, Peter, trying to find uh, what that answer looks like for us today. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, many things have changed in, in 22 years. And among those is the growing uh, of technology, social media engagement, and so we are finding ways to say, uh, how can we then utilize all the resources available for us in worship, in mission, in formation, that will truly connect uh, everyday people, especially people who maybe have left the church, who maybe are no longer connecting to the church, or maybe have never uh, known of the church. How can we allow for those folks to experience the risen Lord? and be able to connect with these other folks who are on a similar journey of discovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, for me, 
we're still answering that question. We're still looking for what this means for us in 2015 and beyond. Uh, but I think what's exciting is that we are willing to be asking these important questions. You mentioned the diversity that your church possesses, and that's very exciting. Diversity in social and economic class, race, age, political affiliation, orientation. Why do you think your church draws such a wide variety of folks? I think from the very beginning we, we made a, a decision to be an open community. So openness is a key value for us. Now, you know what's fascinating is that um, openness uh, sounds great and good uh, until you begin to practice it. <laughs> And then that's when, when the difficulties begin. And I think Grace Community has been able to then uh, navigate those difficult waters uh, through the years and begin to put people next to one another uh, in worship, uh, in the band, uh, in, in the team that, uh, that leads us in media and technology, <laughs> uh, in teams that welcome people. And there's such a difference uh, when you begin serving neighbor together. There's a difference when you begin to uh, get to know one another beyond the stereotypes uh, that are so prevalent in our world today. And so I think that didn't just uh, provide for, for this growing diverse community, but now has kind of paved the way to what I would say is the next step uh, in that. In other words, the next step being, so in light of those relationships and in light of this diverse community, then how can we have conversations how can we have engagements in our community that then model for that community what it means to be one people through difference? Mm. So, so people don't have to uh, hide who they truly are, but they are then able to, to be who they are through that difference and then say why. Why are we brothers and sisters in Christ through our difference? And how important is that difference in our walking the journey of faith as disciples of Jesus? Well, Juan, your sermon this week focuses on the gospel lesson for the fifth Sunday of Easter, John chapter 15. Would you read it for us? Absolutely. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. You abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Jesus uses a very organic image here of our relationship with God, and by my count the word abide is used eight times in this beautiful passage. I take it that's a key word. What's it mean? One of the interesting things is how I was getting ready for the sermon was that uh, that idea of abiding as a place you live in, mm -hmm. as a place you take root in, as a place you take your residence in. Um, and so for me, that all of a sudden just really shakes up my understanding of discipleship. You know, we so often use discipleship uh, and say that it's a journey. 
Well, yeah, it's a journey, but it's actually a very deeply rooted journey. It, it's rooted in our home in God, in our home in Christ. And then the challenge is that when we abide in this way, then we have to invite others in our living of our lives, in our uh, bearing fruit, then we invite others to come home. And, wow, that's a very uh, dynamic and a very rooted and a very comfortable yet uncomfortable place to be. Mm -hmm. So these juxtapositions about abiding make it a very personal and difficult thing, and yet at the same time, uh, it's a very hopeful and salvific and healing thing. Your sermon is entitled Abiding Fruit. Juan, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. And don't forget, if you'd like to listen again to today's program or read or share a transcript of Juan Huertas' sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed sermon transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. wonder if we're willing to abide in anything, to immerse ourselves wholly in something, to allow anything to captivate our heart and life, to, to view our whole existence through that one lens. At first, I want to say no. No one would be willing to give of him or herself in that way. It sounds too constricting. But then I begin to think about the many things that we give ourselves to, our jobs, our families, our hobbies, interests, or activities. I begin to think about the things that we spend our time doing, the things that we give our lives to. Many of us are sports fans. We dress up, we go to games, and we make the time. Uh, some of us love our television programs, so we sit there and even binge watch. We cannot wait for the next season to begin again. So as it turns out, we are constantly abiding, constantly living in, taking residence in, fixing ourselves permanently on many things in our lives. Our abiding speaks to our rooting, and it turns out that we're rooting in different ways every day. We do so every moment our lives. We get ourselves if we think that those things that root us are not affecting us, shaping us, and transforming us. The proof of our shaping is evident all around us. That which we value, which we spend our time doing, the activities that we engage in, our attitudes and ways of engagement all speak to the things that captivate our hearts. These things are the fruit of our abiding fruit of our rootedness. All we have to do is pay attention to our daily smartphone notifications to recognize the fruit of our abiding. Violence, objectification of neighbor, systemic prejudice, greed, and our incessant consumption speak to our hunger. What are we abiding? What's our rootedness? Are we truly rooted? Are we truly abiding in Jesus? Are we letting Jesus abide in us? This 
this is a difficult question. I struggle just thinking about it. It seems like it would be an easy answer. I, I want to say, of course I abide in Jesus. Of course Jesus abides in me. It seems like the answer that any good Christian would give. Good answer for a pastor. I'm honest. I have to recognize that often. We're not abiding Jesus. Not alone. We abide. Oh, we abide in things that we think we can control. Then they end up controlling us. We abide in things that require little of us, but they end up taking our souls. Abide in the security of my small ideas about God, and they end up making me more anxious than ever with with every contrary opinion and enemy, and every enemy beyond redemption. Abiding seems fruitful. Vines seem healthy. They might even be producing grapes, but, but it's rotting grapes, underdeveloped grapes, seedless grapes, grapes that are unable to produce the wine of the kingdom, grapes of idolatry, self-importance, and self-righteousness. Uh, grapes of a myopic view of the world where God only loves those that we love. God hates. Grapes of control over our lives and over others. Grapes of our participation in structures that perpetuate an individualist and egocentric community. Grapes that keep us from paying attention to the needs of others, keep others at arm's length. Grapes that refuse to put ourselves in the place of the other and to live alongside them. It is hard having to face the reality that what we have produced is truly not fruit, but weeds. Of how overgrown everything is around us, how truly unrooted and unfruitful it is, how unwilling we are to face our reality. To have anyone, anything, question our fruitfulness. In other words, we fool ourselves when in reality all that stuff that comes from me is not fruit at all. It's, it's just weeds. Weeds keep me from experiencing the grace that God has given me, that these weeds that I have confused with fruit are now allowing me to move forward and to grow in love of God and neighbor. One of the key places where I see the weediness mistaken for fruitfulness is in the unhealthy rhetoric of our day. In our civic life and social media engagement and in our personal conversations, we, we have become divisive. We have become unwilling to listen, unwilling to see other points of view. We have couched this weediness in talk around what is right, truth, in our own desire for a so-called better life. But in the end, we have questioned the motives of others. We have called other names. We have made caricatures of the positions of others and have become peddlers of untruth. All this shows us that none of this is truth. None of this is abiding in Jesus. None of this. We have allowed fear, ignorance, and our limited understanding of God to take root in our souls. We have chosen to allow our souls to become rooted in a religious version of ourselves, 
instead of being rooted in God's abiding love. More importantly, many of us who claim the way of Jesus, who have been called by God to love God and neighbor, to love our enemy, and to be bearers of truth, have not lived differently. Instead, we have carried the unfruitful practices of our society into the church and have, at times, even led the way into straw man arguments, character assassination, and divisive conversation. To be convicted. For Christ gives us an invitation. Christ says, come and open yourself up to being grafted to me. I have strong roots. I have the DNA needed to make you fruitful, alive, and to make us flourish, to make all of creation flourish. So Jesus calls us to be rooted in him. We, we must then cut ourselves from our root in sin and death and graft ourselves in the personhood and identity of Jesus. He tells us that only in him can we truly be fruitful, that, that everything else is to be cut off, to be removed. Wow. This is difficult work. The gospel provides us with a mirror that shows us possibility, shows us a new way, and shows us the beauty of fruitful abiding. God's call to new life. We must be willing to get in front of that mirror. We must be willing to see that what we are calling fruitfulness is nothing but weeds. We must see that we are really not abiding in Jesus. Instead, we are abiding in our own sense of self. Only then will we be able to see what it looks like to let God clear the way so that we can live a fruitful life. The process is not easy. It requires a dramatic vulnerability, a willingness to let go. It requires our willingness to find a new home. So Jesus provides us with the way. Our following Jesus grasps us, cuts us from our rootedness in sin and death, uh, the unhealthy roots of the human condition, and then allows us to live a new life. Jesus then becomes our root, our vine, with God the Father being the one that grows it, tends it, and makes sure that it is healthy and whole. We are then invited to be the branches, the, the flowering and visible presence of Jesus in the field of God's kingdom. So imagine what that looks like. Imagine our commitment as followers of Jesus to allow the Holy Spirit to graft us into Christ, to allow the nurturing, energetic, and fruitful presence of Jesus to be the source of life for us. In order for this reality to happen, we must abide. In order for our branches to be fruitful, we must allow for this relocation, transplantation, and transformation to occur, to happen in us. We are seeing again and again our need to recalibrate our lives into fruitfulness rooted in our abiding, in our changing of address, in the permanence of God's identity as love. 
making our home in God, inhabiting God's place, living into Christ's identity requires that we acknowledge our need to be grafted, that, that our salvation, our healing is dependent on our willingness to acknowledge our interdependence with God, each other, and all of creation. Our Grace community here in Shreveport, Louisiana, we are committed to living in this way, to live in fruitful abiding. We are committed to living in this way by being agents of conversation, uh, by being space makers for engagement, by being a people that teach one another what it means to be in loving and respectful relationship with those that we disagree. Allowing those things to be the fruit of This is difficult work, but I believe that we must live in this way we must be willing to engage the difficult conversations of our day. We must be willing to abide in the midst of the difficulty. For Jesus would live and allow the fruit of our abiding, the love and grace of Jesus, to be made known in our communities. Now more than ever, God's people must lead the way into conversations that uplift, conversations that restore conversations that renew, conversations that reconcile, conversations that honor the image of God in the other. It is my prayer today that we can begin a movement, a movement of people committed to being agents of reconciliation, committed to a movement rooted in Jesus, a movement that inhabits the way of Jesus and that allows for the way of Jesus to inhabit the world. A movement abiding fruitfulness shines a light on God's reconciling love in Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen. This is Sherry Miller. Why should you support the Day One Radio Ministry? Because it's helping countless people like you. For instance, Brenda, a listener in Pennsylvania, says, Every Sunday, Day One gives me a message I can carry throughout my week. Mike in Minnesota says, There's not another program like Day One. It allows you to hear the Word of God from so many gifted voices. Please, Give generously so Day One can continue to proclaim this much-needed message on the radio and online. Mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or call us at 1-888-411-DAY1. Or give securely online at dayone.org. On behalf of everyone at Day One, thank you for your support. Now, Juan Huertas offers some final thoughts on his message today with our host, Peter Wallace. Juan, you said Jesus calls us to abide in him, to immerse ourselves wholly in him, which can sound very constricting, 
Get, you pointed out that we are constantly abiding or rooting ourselves in all sorts of things in life, and we kid ourselves if we think the things that root us are not affecting us and shaping us. Would you say more about the kinds of things we might be rooted in and how we can assess that personally? That's such a neat question, Peter. You know, sometimes we come to the Christian faith and we have this assumption somehow that we are neutral, right, that we come into the community and into our engagements with God and neighbor in a neutral way. But truth be told, uh, as I said in the sermon, we are actually shaped, deeply shaped by all sorts of things. Our environment, our families, uh, the the ads that we see on television, all those things really shape us. Mm -hmm. And so for me, one of the key uh, ways that we can kind of assess uh, what's really shaping us is uh, the communities, living in community, living in trusting relationships with our sisters and brothers uh, in Christ, and, and ask them to, to help you see those places that are keeping you captive, uh, those places where you are abiding, that you're abiding in, that are not helpful in your love of God and neighbor. And, and to me, out of those relationships, then, um, you are able to then do that daily check-in I'm thinking of, for example, uh, Ignatius practice, the Ignatian examen, right? So you ask yourself, so where is God today? Where have I seen God in my own life and in my own uh, heart? And then where have been those places in my own behavior and in my own encounters where, where God has felt absent? Uh, so the community engagement and the truth-telling and in love in that community then provides for what I think should be a daily check-in in our own uh, lives, uh, checking on ourselves. Right. If we abide in things that require little of us, that control us, that keep our understanding of God too small, you said we will only produce rotten, seedless grapes. But Jesus calls us to abide in him, so Jesus becomes our root, our vine, and God grows it, tends it, and makes sure it is healthy and whole, making us into flowering branches that reveal the presence of Jesus in the field of God's kingdom. It's a beautiful image. How do we enter into this abiding presence of Jesus? So it, it's interesting to to hear my quote back at me, Peter. Um, as I hear it, uh, it's almost like, wow, that's a very strong <laughs> one. Um, but, but I think that for me, we enter into the abiding presence of Jesus, first of all, by looking at ourselves in the mirror and seeing the, the image of God in us, to, to tell ourselves, you belong to God, you're God's beloved. And I believe that when we do that, then when we walk out our doors, we begin to see God's beloved everywhere, all, all around us. Mm. And, and, and that begins a process, a process of recognition. So even if we mis make a mistake or somehow do not live into this reality, we keep on reminding ourselves, I am a beloved child. And then when others come towards us and they are not maybe behaving uh, in loving, life-giving, justice-seeking ways, then we say, but yet they are beloved too. And, and that, to me, that movement, it sounds so simple, but it is complex. But it is that movement that begins the healing work in us, that enters us into the presence of Jesus each day, and that helps us recognize the presence of Jesus in places that we might have not seen it before. I believe if we, if we practice this, this fruitful ab abiding, it will change absolutely everything. Juan Huertas, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. 
Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. Good morning to you and yours. This is your early morning gospel program. Morning inspiration. Time to wake up everybody.
This is Morning Inspiration with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
legends of Babel confirm the Bible. This is Ken Ham, a missionary with a passion for God's Word and the Gospel. Genesis tells us that originally the entire world spoke one language. Now soon after the global flood, people rebelled against God's command to fill the earth. So God confused their speech. Families then spoke in different languages. If this really happened, we'd expect many cultures to have stories of a time when there was only one language. And this is exactly what we see. Just as creation and flood legends exist in cultures all across the world, so the legends of a time when everyone spoke the same language. Some of these legends even have a tower, just like in Genesis. When scripture talks about Earth's history, we can trust it. You see, God, who never lies, is the ultimate author of the Bible. We can be confident that the history he's given us is true. Discover more about the ancient Tower of Babel and the life-size ark we're building by going to our website, AnswersInGenesis.org. AnswersInGenesis.org.
Today, we're taking a close look at one of God's greatest gifts, the gift of smell. This is the Creation Moments Minute. The ability to smell is one gift we often take for granted. That's probably because we usually identify things more quickly with one of our other senses. At the same time, Thanksgiving dinner would not be the same without the smell. Some of the most unlikely creatures have a sense of smell. Believe it or not, even fungi have a sense of smell. Worms have organs on their heads to sense odor. Ticks carry their scent-detecting organs on their feet. This arrangement would not work for us. Mollusks smell through their gills. The salmon uses smell to find the same brook in which he was spawned. Lizards and snakes use their tongues to detect scents. More about the gift of smell tomorrow on the Creation Moments Minute. I'm Darren Marlar. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We've been married 38 years. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We play golf and we travel, but we also decided we were going to give to and volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. I do the nursing at the clinic. I work the front office, checking in patients, greeting them, making them feel comfortable. United Way is how we contribute, because we know our time and money are going to the right places, the places that need it most and implement it best. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We even get a few blast shoes. It's incredible. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic, so we don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata. With today's technology, most people do not carry around address books. I remember right before I went electronic and put everything on my iPhone, I leaped through the pages of my old address book, and I was amazed how many names I had whited out, crossed out, or erased names of people I could hardly remember. Some names were so obscure, I could barely even read the print. My point here? Well, God has an address book. And Revelation chapter 20 says, there are no erasers in heaven. No name will be forgotten or crossed out. There it says, quote, everyone who conquers will be clothed in white. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. But I will announce before my father and his angels that he is mine. Friends, your name is recorded, and once you are listed under C for Child of God, your information is safe in the cloud, <laughs> and that is heaven. This is Morning Inspiration with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
The following is a presentation of God Questions Ministries. What does it mean to accept Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? To properly understand this question, you must first understand the terms Jesus Christ, personal, and Savior. Who is Jesus Christ? Many people will acknowledge Jesus Christ as a good man, a great teacher, or even a prophet of God. These things are definitely true of Jesus, but they do not fully define who he truly is. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God in the flesh, God in human form. God came to earth to teach us, heal us, correct us, forgive us, and die for us. Jesus Christ is God, the Creator, the Sovereign Lord. Have you accepted this, Jesus? What is a Savior, and why do we need a Savior? The Bible tells us that we have all sinned. We have all committed evil acts. Romans 3, verses 10 through 18. As a result of our sin, we deserve God's anger and judgment. The only just punishment for sins committed against an infinite and eternal God is an infinite punishment. Romans 6, verse 23. That is why we need a Savior. Jesus Christ came to earth and died in our place. Jesus' death was an infinite payment for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. Romans 5, verse 8. Jesus paid the price so that we would not have to. Jesus' resurrection from the dead proved that his death was sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins. That is why Jesus is the one and only Savior. John 14, verse 6. Are you trusting in Jesus as your Savior? Is Jesus your personal Savior? Many people view Christianity as attending church, performing rituals, and or not committing certain sins. That is not Christianity. True Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Accepting Jesus as your personal Savior means placing your own personal faith and trust in Him. No one is saved by the faith of others. No one is forgiven by doing certain deeds. The only way to be saved is to personally accept Jesus as your Savior, trusting in His death as the payment for your sins and His resurrection as your guarantee of eternal life. John 3, verse 16. Is Jesus personally your Savior? If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, say these words to God. Remember, though, saying this prayer or any other prayer will not save you. Only believing in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross for you can save you from sin. This prayer is simply a way to express to God your faith in Him and to thank Him for providing for your salvation. God, I know that I have sinned against you and deserve punishment. But I believe Jesus Christ took the punishment I deserve so that through faith in him I could be forgiven. I receive your offer of forgiveness, and I place my trust in you for salvation. I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Thank you for your wonderful grace and forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. Amen. Have you made a decision to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because of what you've read here? If so, please send us an email at questions at gotquestions.org. God Questions Ministry seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical answers to today's questions online at gotquestions.org.
Thank you. 
Lord Jesus. I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself truly to him. And you too will enter into that joy is forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation?
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.